All right, well, welcome to the next chapter. 2022, right, is here. And, you know, each year we, I, I try to just pay attention to something that the Lord seems to be cultivating for us, the beginning, the transitional moment of starting a new year. And so this year, uh, we're going to start up with a, a few messages that probably this three in the month of January called the great pause. And, you know, here, here's a reality. I don't want us to overlook at the start of this year that the next chapter of the mission of your life is upon you. And I don't know if you feel that way about your life or if this is just the next day, the next chapter, the, the next year in doing life, but the next chapter of the mission of your life is upon you. And, and you are on a mission. And God is a God who has created a mission. God is a God who has created all things. So I put something in your outline here that sounds so obvious, but it is so essential. Every human life, is a created life. Now ponder that for a second. Every human life is a created life. So there's no such thing as a time plus chance existence where where you look back on your life and the origins of why you're a human being in this hour at this moment and, and you just have this evolutionary thought that, well, you know, we're just continuing in what has always been. It's just what always been. People have just always been doing life. Here's the next set of events that are coming up. I'm just another person amongst a bunch of other people. That's kind of the, an evolutionary idea. That there is not a feature of an origin. There's just activity. And enough time and enough chance. And you and I are just living a time and chance existence. I'm not sure what that does for you in terms of how you explain your life in the last year, the events that took place, the good ones, the bad ones, the struggles, the rewards, or how you're anticipating this coming year. But according to scripture, God is a creator. I think that's a good title that we've lost a little bit. To think about not God as just the supreme being or even a father. He's the creator. Everything that exists is because he intentionally stared at it and created it. You know, for God, there's no looking at the universe and going, where did that come from? Whoa, 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 whoa. Whose idea was that? Everything is his idea. He created it all. So if we went back to chapter one, this is what chapter one would sound like. Genesis chapter one sounds like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. So God starts with himself and in the beginning, a created activity, but, but the arena of his creation is formless and void. It's disorganized. There's no purpose in it. It's void, but God is engaging it. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, God said something specific in that moment. The spirit of God is portrayed as hovering over this disorganized mess. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm loving the feel of that as I exit the year 2021 because 2021 and 2020 have felt like a disorganized mess. 
But the God that I am walking with hovers over disorganized messes. And he is intentional as he engages them. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. I just, I, that, that moment, that first creative moment, what, what did that feel and sound like? As God merely uttered words and light came piercing into existence, chasing to the edges of darkness and filling everything. God put light on an assignment in that moment, didn't he? Now remember, God's going to create a bunch of things. But in this moment, a particular thing is taking flight and it's light with all that you and I, don't we just take light for granted, right? I mean, it's there. The sun comes up every day. We turn a light on. But there was a moment in which none of that existed until God said, and then there was. And God saw the light that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And then a little bit later, God's going to keep creating, and he's going to always be saying, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth and it was so each according to its kind so we just don't have vegetation growing you just don't have time and chance just this evolutionary thing plants just sort of begin to happen and you know who, who knew they had seeds and who knew this one would be tall that one would be short this one you could eat and that one you couldn't none of that is random there's not a thing in this universe that's not specific god made each one of them each according to its kind. Each thing God created had an eachness to it. I hope you see where I'm going with this. You have an eachness. There's something about your life right now, entering into another year that's not random. It's just not filled with chance. And who knew that stuff would happen this past year. And who knew you'd be in the predicament that you're in right now? Or, or you'd be facing the opportunity that you have right now? Who knew you'd be here? God knew. The God who is specific knew your story because he's an each creator. Verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. And it was so. And you guys know the rest of this chapter. God would say, let there be creatures to fill the seas. And there's all kinds of creatures with all their variety, right? We're from South Louisiana. We love to play in the water, man. We, we love the creatures that are in the sea. We love to fish and catch different types of fish. And there's crabs and there's crawfish. And we figured out how to eat stuff that I'm not sure ever was intended to be eaten, but we ate it anyway. There's this creativity in God of all this variety. And then there's the things that fly. What variety? God says, you know... I'm going to fill the stuff under the earth. I'm going to fill the skies as well. And there's this intentionality in God. And then God comes along at the end of all this specific creation. He says, let us make man in our image after our own likeness, male and female. There's specifics in God creating all that he has created. Now, listen, I'm not going to get into the political realm here because who knew 40 years ago, nobody had to explain that when God said, let us make man in our own image, male and female, nobody had to go into detail and qualify that or point out why that's a good thing. Today, that idea is being challenged, isn't it? 
as to whether or not the God who created intentionally, remember God stared at formless void existence and specifically did something. He did what he wanted. He did what the creator has the right to do. He did what a perfect God does with his creation. So he made man male and female. Make sure you are celebrating all this that God has done. See, when, when you detach the creation from the creator, you get to redefine everything. That's why I like the term creator. Because it tells you where these things came from. It tells you why they are the way they are. So from the very first chapter, this creative God is originating the things that make up our lives. John Piper in his book, Providence, says, God is the original possessor of life. Therefore, life is a gift from God, both spiritual life by new birth and natural life by the creation of the soul. If each human life is the life of a soul as well as a body, then each human life is created by God. Humans may act as participants in the making of a new body, but humans do not create the soul. God does. The summons of the psalmist, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, is a call to acknowledge that our existence as individual persons is owing to God, not just man. The psalmists see human life in its totality, body and soul as a work of God and therefore a possession of God. And that's an interesting posture. It's an appropriate posture. It is a lost posture even among the church world. Come, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's a great posture to begin the next chapter of 2022. There is this awareness, this need to pause in our life and get oriented about who am I again? Who, who, who am I? Because I can get lost in my own chapters. I can get lost in my own talents. I can begin to identify things about me and the people in my life and how things are going and what advances are there and what interests I have, what gifts I have, etc., and I can fail to recognize, I need to often pause and kneel and recognize there's a creator. And my, my life and my soul and my existence came from him. He created me. Listen, God wasn't just the creator in Genesis chapter 1. Don't make the mistake of, of reading your Bible that way. Everything that has come into existence has come from the creator. So it's not like God just, you know, this is deism teaches that God just created in the beginning, spun the world and the universe into existence and then walked away from it. And it's taken care of itself since then. That's deism. God has been involved in your creation, in the unique characteristics of your life, in the time frames in which you live, in everything about you. So this next chapter should not feel like random chance. We're just going into the next chapter. Who knows what the heck this year is going to be like. The last two years have been crazy. Uh, God's been in the crazy years. God didn't stop being God. He wasn't less God in those moments. But 
Let's not overlook that our humanity gets affected by living through some really difficult settings. These last two years have been some really difficult settings in many, many ways. I'm here starting the year, and this morning I'm looking out, and we're missing all kinds of faces. By the way, thank you guys who are watching us by live stream. I know a lot of you wanted to be here, couldn't be here because of your COVID conditions. We are praying for you guys who are ill and facing sickness this morning and this week. But this has been an interesting couple of years, hasn't it? And I'm, I will say this. I'm not sure everybody's tapped into how exactly these couple of years have weirded you out personally. I'm serious. I've read a couple of guys, just insightful authors and pastors, and, and they've been humble enough to acknowledge just how weird they have become as they've traveled through these last couple of years. The impact that this has had on their own way of processing life and thinking about things and events and people. And and you and I have, have gotten so removed from the routines and the regularness of our life. Life doesn't feel the same. I'm gonna use that word this year a lot because the feeling component for most of us is way out ahead of, and it's much noisier than the thinking component of our lives. Matter of fact, I can tell in discussions with people, um, I'm not the most emotional sort of person. So I'm more of the thinker person. But I have just noticed in the last several years, um, I, I can't reel in people's feelings. I can sit in counseling meetings and talk and talk and talk, but their feelings are going to rule the day. And I don't know how many times, I mean, some of you people maybe here, how many guys have met with me? And I, we, I'll probably have concluded the meeting by saying, listen, <clears throat> we just met for an hour and a half. And in our exchange, there were a lot of things that were said that made sense to you, but I can tell you're going to walk out of this room unchanged because your feelings haven't changed. But, you know, this, this is a book designed to get to our feelings, but it doesn't overlook our thinking on its way to our feelings. And so don't forget that. There's nothing out there that simply flips the feeling switch of your life. We're designed by God to think and to feel. So both of them are real. But people have struggled and they're rethinking a lot because their feelings are compelling them, right? I I saw this. This is typical of what I see in the news these days. This is a Wall Street Journal article. Title of it is American workers are burned out and bosses are struggling to respond. This is a common experience in the workplace world. And this was just a few days before Christmas says, in the first 10 months of this year, America's workers handed in nearly 39 million resignations, the highest number ever recorded. Some want better jobs, others a better work-life balance, still others want a complete break from the corporate grind. Many Americans are rethinking their relationship with work. Right. This, is, this is going around, and you guys see it. You see your workplaces. You see how things are being thought through and jobs and what's being offered to folks versus what it was a few years ago. Companies are struggling to stop employees from leaving and to boost morale. Right. This is a common life experience. Settings that have been familiar to us are less rewarding than they've ever been. 
the sense of morale, excitement. I want to keep doing that. I'm so excited about this thing in my life is simply not holding on to people anymore. More people, I haven't seen a good statistic on this yet, but I'm I'm curious to see as we get through further into this year, how many people have geographically moved in the last year and a half? People who never thought about moving are moving. Right? We've had folks leave here, and as they've talked, I'm from here, this part of town. Never thought about moving. They're, they're living in other states. They have picked up their lives and gone elsewhere. And job and career changes are happening. But this is happening in a spiritual sense as well. There is this feel that we are spiritually sort of floating through a strange time, and we are not doing well. And we need to respond by changing something in our lives. I think I may have mentioned a few months ago, it's a book written by the Gospel Coalition, assembled a number of pastors to write a book that they felt was critical to this hour. And the, the book was called Rediscover Church. It was critical because the pandemic put its foot on the gas pedal of people's nominal connection to their local churches, which had been going on for the last decade, but the pandemic just accelerated it drastically. And so if you're a pastor, you're aware, no matter where you are, you're aware that people do not associate their lives with the local church the same way they did five years ago or 10 years ago. It's just a different thing. People feel different about this setting. One of their, in the beginning of the book, they say this, is there a future then for the church? Is virtual church the future? Well, yes and no. That's why we aim in this book to convince you to rediscover church. Why do people need to be convinced to rediscover church? Well, because morale is low all over the place. And being a part of anything is being questioned by folks. We we don't do so from naivete as if we can't imagine why someone would struggle with the local church. In fact, anyone who loves the church must learn to forgive and forbear. Is that new to anybody here in the body of Christ? Did you think you would join a church and you, you would never have to pick up the rich doctrine of forgiveness and forbearance and actually put it on so that you could walk with other people? Did you just think your family was a bad setting? Did you not recognize that any setting with human beings in it is going to require forgiveness and forbearance to be part of that setting. Now, why has that become so difficult? I'm going to resist chasing this rabbit, but um, years ago, I mean, it's always been challenging, but years ago, the the feel of life was different. There, There was an appreciation for the forgiveness and forbearance that we were very aware of God was giving to us on a daily basis. That was much more prevalent in our thinking. Today, what's much more prevalent is something that feels more like a cancel culture. It is the understanding that if, if others are not doing for you what you feel they should be doing for you, then it's time to move on. And so you have a lot of lack of forbearance, lack of forgiveness with one another. So God, he goes on, the author says, God does not invite us to church because it's a comfortable place to find a bit of spiritual encouragement. No, he invites us into a spiritual family of misfits and outcasts. 
He welcomes us into a home that's rarely what we want, yet just what we need. Part of the next chapter that God has, us on a mission together, means being yoked together. It means that for husbands and wives. It means that for families. It means that for local churches, that we are yoked together, moving into the future of God's plan together. And it's going to be challenging. It's part of the mission that we're on. So, so what's happening as you and I move from chapter 21 to chapter 22 in this coming year? Well, we are moving out of a, a, an enormous period of disruption. Right, so this morning, I wanted to pause with a particular man. And we're going to install these three messages. Today, we're going to pause with a man named Noah, who was exiting the greatest pandemic that ever hit the earth. Right, so we're going to learn some lessons from, from Noah today. But next week, we're going to pause with the greatest man who took the greatest pause before he began his ministry. And then the week after that, we're going to pause with the greatest organization who paused before they began their mission. And we're going to learn some things. And I want to invite you to do this. I want to invite you to find your pause button and press it. And I recognize, I mean, I don't, I tend to now, if I feel like the Lord wants to say something to the church, it's almost never a one week message. Some of you would have a variety of reasons as to why that is, but uh, quite honestly, we don't hear anything in one week. You might start noticing the title of this series next week. And maybe the third week will finally go, so what's this series again? But the bigger question is not about whether you're following this series. It's whether or not you know how to press your own pause button. And not just get caught and perpetually keep doing and doing and doing the same things you've always done. Year in, year out, day in, day out, week in, week out. At some moments, God wants us to pause significantly and let him grab our attention and impart some things to us. And, and I don't think some of us are going to do well this year unless we get something from God at the beginning of the year that becomes a little bit of a flag in the ground. That as you move forward and you do life and you get to March and you get to June, you're going to have moments where God reminds you. Remember what I told you at the beginning of this year. And you're going to need that. God's designed us to need him in ways like that. So can, can I just ask you, just stop with me for a moment. I don't even know if you thought what this even means. What does it mean for you to press your pause button? What would that even look like for you? What would you do different? What kind of mindset would you create? How would you change your use of time? Your settings? All right, so... For the men, this is a great month for you guys to, to engage this moment because when we get to the end of the month in January and the theme of our men's retreat is being still and knowing that I am God. So this is an advance notice for you on, on being still. But let me start with Noah today. No one faced a greater day of global disruption. You and I recognize all kinds of, of transportation has been disrupted. We've got health issues. We've got governmental problems. There's a massive amount of disruption. No one faced the amount of disruption that Noah faced, did he? Right, if we talk suffering, Job is the king of suffering. If we talk disruption, Noah is the king of disruption. No one's world was ever more disrupted than Noah's. And we join Noah here in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, as the pandemic is ending and Noah is now stepping off 
the ark into the next chapter. Here's what it says. Genesis 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I'm not going to jump into that last phrase. I just want to point out that's what God originally said in chapter one of man's existence. Right, so God is continuing something that he always had in mind for Noah to continue in. But it's, it's what precedes that. It's this moment of pause that I want to let it capture us. Right? There's this massive event. Here's the event for, for Noah. Noah has spent somewhere between 50 and 70 years of his life building an ark. At some point, that became his career calling. He got up every day of his life for 50 to 70 years focused on one thing. There is this mysterious, remember this guy doesn't get all this. There's this mysterious event coming. I've been warned by God. God has a purpose. The chapter I'm now engaging for the next 50 to 70 years of my career is to build a boat. I've never seen a boat. I've never seen water that the boat could float in. I've never seen rain fall from the sky. But this is my career. I'm called to build a massive boat. And for 50 to 70 years, he does that until the day when droplets begin to fall from the sky. And eventually, he's going to load up, as God said, onto that ark. And he's going to spend 370 days on this boat, pitched on the water in a storm for 370 days. This is this man's existence. And then finally, the water is going to subside and the ark is going to settle and the next chapter is going to begin. And he describes it this way in Genesis 8 verse 14. He says, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh. Go out from the ark. Okay, Noah, this chapter is over. This has been a big chapter in his life. It's done. Right? I don't know that Noah ever gets back on the ark ever again. I mean, maybe he lived in the ark. Maybe he thought it was a cool hotel. But maybe he moves on and finds another place to live. And the ark chapter is over. This massive calling in Noah's life to do that has come to an end. And now a new world is in front of him. And, and before we make this sound romantic, can you imagine what this world is like? Everyone is dead. Every friend, every relative, every business associate, 
every tribe, everybody you played ball with, your enemies are gone. You can roam as far as you can possibly roam and you will never come in contact with another person except the ones that were on the ark with you. There's no commerce. You can't run to the mall. I mean, you can't run to the mall now here either. I mean, the mall's all closing. It's crazy. Yeah, if you guys are, are Marvel movie fans, with that, that last Avengers movie tells a story about the, the great villain in the, in the movie has managed to harness the power of these stones and with a snap of his finger, he wipes out half of every living person, cr- creature in the universe. And the, the next move, the last movie opens with that reality and there's this disoriented people are just suddenly... What on earth is this all about? And they're, and they're, they're meeting, there's small group meetings for them. They're depressed. They don't know how to go on. Their life is not the same for years and years and years. Right? So can you imagine, this is Noah's existence as he steps into the next chapter with God. But he does something in this moment. He opens the door, he steps out, and, and he presses a pause button in this moment. And he does There's three things in this verse that capture my attention. There's an altar here, there's a promise here, and there's a purpose here. He presses the pause button, and the first thing he does, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings on that altar. That's the first thing Noah does. Now, can you just gather with me, why would this man... Slay an animal and burn it before God. Why would he do that? Any idea? Remember, this is over a thousand years before Moses has shown up at Mount Sinai where God explains burnt offerings and God sets the law in place and gives the book of Leviticus and all the practices for the priests. This, is, this predates all of that. Why does this man take the life of an animal and offer it to God. Well, it's a sacrifice. Well, why do you bring sacrifices to the God of the universe? Because you're aware there's something not right between you and him. I don't know if anybody could have been more clear on that than Noah. God had just pronounced judgment upon the whole world and by his mercy granted Noah and his family not to be part of that judgment. So there was a clear moment here where Noah is aware as human beings, we're not right with God. And the first thing he does is he presents an offering to the Lord of an animal. Um. This is kind of weird. I don't know that too many people pause in this moment sufficiently and correctly these days. Because quite honestly, our world doesn't ever want to be told there's anything wrong with you. Or that God has expectations of you that you are failing to meet. Do you understand? That's the first thing on Noah's mind when he gets off the boat. The first thing on his mind is... Things are not right between humanity and God. And he offers a sacrifice to God. 
Listen, before you and I go around hating that, I mean, none of us, none of us enjoy the guilt trip approach to life where we get, get this sense of being put on a guilt trip. You know, don't put that on me, man. You know, don't, that's what I can't stand about church. It makes you feel guilty. Can, can I just tell you, you already feel guilty. Whether I say anything today that taps into that, you're going to walk out of here and something's going to happen in your life that you're going to get in touch with the guilt. And the Bible describes it. And the Bible doesn't apologize for this. You and I need to be careful that we come to the scriptures and we're informed by them and we're not alienated from them because the world has taught us to not like Romans chapter three. The world doesn't like Romans chapter three. Do you, do you like Romans chapter three? It's, it's the inspired word of God to describe the world that we live in and describe our relationship to him. Romans 3 verse 9, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it's written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When Noah lowers the ramp and steps off the ark, he is aware of Romans chapter 3. It circulates in his veins. He is aware he falls short. And there's nothing he can do to fix that. He seeks the mercy of God through the sacrifice of an innocent one. That's what he seeks. And God smells the aroma of that. And he is pleased. He does not, be careful. He does not smell the aroma of Noah's righteousness. He does not smell that Noah is a, is a sound, awesome guy. The rest of these people on the planet were losers. But Noah, this is the man here. It was the smell of the aroma of the sacrifice that pleased God. Now, if you've read a little bit of your Bible, I'm going to assume everybody has. This is not an encouragement for you to go kill your dog or go get an animal and slay it in your backyard so that God will be pleased. Because the Bible is going to come along and make clear that there is no forgiveness through the, the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats. God is not pleased to forgive the sins of humanity through animals that have been sacrificed. But there's a reason why those animals are sacrificed. Because they point to one sacrifice that God is pleased with. So if you will, you're traveling down the highway of the Bible and there's these billboards along the way and there's sacrificial activity and this one's being slain and that life is being given up and hands are being laid and guilt is being transferred. All those billboards that you're passing... They're telling you how many miles to Jesus. That's what they're doing. So this moment right here where God looks at a sacrifice is not because God thought that particular animal that Noah sacrificed was particularly worthy. And therefore he was particularly pleased with that animal being sacrificed. That's not what's happening here. This is the God of the universe looking forward to the one sacrifice that would put away sin and would satisfy God, he sees Jesus Christ in this moment as Noah gets off the ark. And God makes a covenant with Noah in this moment. Right? Notice what's in this section, because this is Noah starting the next chapter. This is a big deal. What do we do now, God? What now? The whole world has been oblivious. 
And, and, and judgment has come upon all of humanity. What do we do now, God? Are you going to do this again? Are my days numbered? Can you imagine how many questions Noah has in this moment? What's the most important thing for this man as he enters the next chapter? God, what are you going to do next? Who are you going to be to me in the future? That's the biggest thing Noah needs to discover in this moment. And God establishes mercy and covenant with him. Look at verse 21. Genesis 8, verse 21. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground. Even though the intentions of, of man's heart are evil from his youth, I will never again strike down every living creature as I have done. God chooses not to do something ever again. Why does he do that? Out of the grace that's inside of him. Out of the abundance of grace of a God who says, I'll, I'll never do that again. And he makes it very clear, a little bit later you move on, this covenant that God establishes with Noah is so that Noah can know how to move forward. Recognizing how God is or is not going to be with him in the future. Genesis 9-11. <clears throat> God says, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. God, what are you going to be doing in the next chapter as we move forward? I'm just curious, God, when I start to feel rain falling out of the sky, do I need to run back to the ark? Are you about to kill us all again? Because that's what happened last time rain fell from the sky. God says, no, no, this is what you'll need to know about me when the rain starts to fall on you. I will remember my covenant. That is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Here's, here's what I want to pause and notice. I want to pause and notice the same thing that Noah paused and noticed. He paused and noticed the grace of God. That's what he noticed. This covenant gets made with humanity out of the grace of God. This, this is not a partnership where what gets highlighted here is the righteousness of man that prevailed upon God so that now God will respond favorably because man has put up enough coins and God is now good with man. No, no, the Bible comes right out and says God noticed two things. One, he noticed that the intentions of man's heart are evil continually from their youth. Well, that just disqualified every last one of us. We come to God with no coinage. There, there's nothing about us that we can come and say, hey, God. Let's do covenant together. How about in 2022, God? You know, I, I, I've been saving my green stamps from 2020, 2021. I'm really good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put down some kind of a down payment that's going to motivate you to really be special toward me in 2022. 
I hope you're not approaching God that way. Because if you are, you're, you're, you're going to find that you're reaching into empty pockets. But God offers something much better than that. God doesn't require Noah to reach for his pockets. God has mercy and he has grace on Noah's life. The thing that produced this sense of blessing upon him was the aroma of the offering. And we just finished clarifying that aroma from that offering wasn't about that animal. It was the aroma of Christ that was being observed and experienced by God the Father, who then responds with a covenant of grace for Noah. Now, you know, you don't get too far. And if you don't pay attention to this, you'll, you'll overlook some things that are actually quite humbling and very helpful for us as we walk with each other. You know, if you keep reading, you just get a little bit farther into Genesis chapter 9. Here's, here's, the, here's the rest of Noah's story. Who's the guy you say that? The rest of the story? Paul Harvey? Genesis 9 verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. Noah becomes a wine grower. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And I'll spare you the rest because it's a little vague, but something shameful happened with Ham, his son. And the Bible doesn't describe it, but it was quite shameful. So much so that Noah cursed Ham's children. So we don't have the details on that. But, you know, human corruption is human corruption. It was a bad situation, and it was a shameful situation. And how did it happen? Because Noah was drunk. Wait, the same Noah that God just made a covenant of grace with? Yeah, that Noah. You guys ever fully read King David's resume? If I hadn't postured this right now, as a matter of fact, if we had just finished worship, worship set and I came up and I said, hey, let's, let's think about King David right now. Let's think about the Psalms that King David wrote and the worship in his heart. And, and the first thing that would come to mind is that, you know, King David was a man after God's own heart. And we remember all these great things about David, what he did in the name of the Lord, the songs that he wrote down that, that we're still singing. But if you read the rest of his resume... He's an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. And the proximity of his actions are very curious, right? Just like this in Noah's situation. You have God who makes covenant. Fast forward a little bit of time, and you have Noah drunk and shamefully involved in a bad situation. Short period of time. Did God not see that? Did God not know that was coming? Right. Does God live in time like you and me? He makes a covenant with Noah. He's just totally unaware. Oh my gosh, why'd I pick him? Is that what God's doing? Curious, if you go back and you read 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God goes out of his way to select King David and make his lineage and his household to be blessed. Of all the, na- all the, the leaders, God is going to bless David's household in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Just go a few chapters forward in time to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and the story is being told of the day David stayed home from war and was lusting after the woman that he could see bathing from his housetop. And the rest of the story gets put in place. And the Bible goes as far as to say that David has given cause for the enemies of God to blaspheme the name of God. 
the God who made covenant with King David in chapter 7 knew what was going to happen in chapter 11. Listen, the, the grace of God is so much bigger than you and I think our way through. This was a covenant of grace. This man paused to go into the next chapter from exiting his worldwide pandemic with an awareness of who God would be toward him in the future. Can I just invite you into that same moment as you prepare to do 2022? Can you pause to sufficiently stare at the grace of God that God intends to invade our lives with in the coming year? Can you not make your sin and your negligence and your failings and your bad attitude and your bad resume bigger than the grace of God? When God put his son on a cross, all of our sins were in the future, if you want to follow me that way. When he made covenant with his son, on our behalf so that he could bestow his grace upon us. It was his son he stared at. It was not you and me and what we deserve. The aroma was not provided by you and me. We didn't go out and buy some perfume and spray it all over our stinky lives and all of a sudden God's pleased. No, no, no. It was his son that he looked at in that moment that gave birth to grace that would conquer our lives. So when you and I stare into 2022... Are you anticipating the grace of God in these coming days? Maybe the last couple of years have made us feel like, oh, I don't know what to anticipate. But we're in covenant with a God who by grace has promised us some things. He is with us uniquely. He is with you uniquely in this coming year. Let me give you just one last verse here. We're going to just glance at this verse in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to celebrate communion together this morning. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 1 is, is a moment where Peter is interacting with suffering saints in the first century. Life is hard, disrupted, discouraging. There's, I'm sure there's a morale problem in the first century of just walking in God's purposes. And early in that letter, as Peter seemed to pastor these folks... Chapter 1, verse 10, Peter says this to them. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them <clears throat> that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which the angels have longed to look. Therefore, this is a great start of the chapter phrase. Preparing your minds for action and being Sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
This, this is a passage. It is, this is a rich passage. This is the Apostle Peter speaking to a modern audience just like us who are doing life with question marks all around us, uncertainty going into the next year. And he reaches back and he says, can I just tell you the prophets of old, those guys that God let in on insights and they were seers of things that other people couldn't see. They were looking for something. All the years of their ministry, they kept looking for something and looking for something and looking for something. They wanted to fully understand something. Do you know what they were looking for? They were looking to understand the grace that was to be yours. All those years, the angels longed to look. And it's the description here, the grace that was to be yours. That's what they longed to see. This this, Passage uses a couple of phrases that are, that are probably needing some upgrades in our lives. Peter says, concerning this salvation. What salvation? This massive, new deal, life-changing reality where the living God comes into a relationship with fallen human beings. Don't assume that that's true. Because you don't write words like this if it's always true. Concerning this salvation. Concerning the fact that you have come into something that's redefined your life. And put you in the crosshairs of God's grace that these prophets have longed to see. How would that play out in the future? When the God who can judge the whole world says, never again, and never again, and never again, and I will, and I will, and I will. That's the God who Noah was looking to. He was looking for the grace that found us. And he got a taste of it in his own life. So I, I, you know, I'm not sure where you are. Maybe you guys watching at home, live stream. There, there should be in your life a moment where you understand this salvation came to you. This salvation became real. Karen, was that your, your dad the other night of the Philip? Uh, Karen's dad was here at the, the testimony service that we had on New Year's Eve. And he stood up and came and just shared about some things that God was doing in his life. And his, his starting point was this salvation. He started by describing 55 years ago in, in this church before any of us were here except for Bill Treby uh, and Nancy. Um, 55 years ago, he came to a Wednesday night service and he remembers the event. He remembers the night and he got saved. This salvation found this man 55 years ago. And he stood at this microphone and that was his reference point of telling his story. Can I just tell you, uh, I, I met Christ in 1979 and that is a reference point for my life that has redefined my entire existence. Everything about going into this next chapter for me began in 1979. It began when the God of the universe personally awakened my soul to him. And I became aware that there is a God who's writing the chapters of our existence. And he wants to be reunited to me. And he did that through his son. And I can receive his life. And he will travel with me through this world and take me to be with him in all eternity. At some point, that becomes the reference point that Peter is pointing to here concerning this salvation. Do do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know personally what I'm talking about? When I say concerning this salvation, could you tell me your story? If I walked up to you right now, I said, tell me your story. Tell me about your salvation. 
Don't tell me about the history of humanity. Don't tell me about religious systems. Don't tell me about something out there. That's fine. You need that. But tell me about you. Tell me about when this salvation became your salvation, when it became your story. Because as you go into the next year, if you don't have a salvation story, the rest of this verse doesn't mean anything. Do you think God is going to be gracious to you? Without a sacrifice that he's pleased with. And can I just tell you. You got nothing to bring to God. To burn or offer to him. That he's going to be pleased with. It's only one offering. It's the offering of his own son. To reconcile us to himself. So that whether you're Noah. Or whether you're Keith or whoever. God looks at us. But it's the smell of the aroma of Christ. That brings the grace of God heaped upon our lives. And we begin this year with an awareness of that. This grace toward us. Right? They were longing and looking for the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. But now, Keith, you can bring the worship team back up. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So in just a moment, we're going to start the year by celebrating communion. Because communion is about the sufferings of Christ. There's something about what Christ did that has pleased and affected God in such a way that he now responds to guilty sinners in grace. So, so therefore, if I'm aware of that, if I'm aware of the sufferings of Christ on my behalf... I don't hate Romans chapter 3 anymore. Because I don't have to produce my own righteousness to get God to be okay with me. I understand his okayness comes from smelling the offering of Christ. The grace of God comes to me for a different reason. I, if I hear that I am broken, I fall short, and, and I can make room for that, I get to be a human being right alongside of you. And you know what that's going to do for me? If I'll stop running from the fact that I'm, I'm broken, I don't have it all together, etc. You know what happens when I experience your brokenness and, and you don't have it all together? I totally get you. I'm not harsh, I'm not judgmental, I'm not put off by you because I'm aware Romans 3 applies to me. And not just because Romans 3 says it, but because I'm aware that I really do fall short of the glory of God. I'm aware every day of my life. I I often begin prayer times. I, I don't know if I can do anything more spiritual than pray. I often begin my prayer times with an apology to God. God, I'm about to say a lot of stupid things. I'm about to prioritize things that probably really aren't priorities. I'm probably going to worry out loud more than I'm actually going to call on you to do anything in faith. I, I begin with, God, this is who I am. I know I fall short of the glory of God. But I stand in that moment and you get to stand in that moment because God smells the aroma of the offering of his son. And I get to live in this grace every day of my life in the coming year. The grace that God will not do that to me and he will not do that to me, but he will do this and he will do that out of the subsequent glories of what Christ has done for me. Now, what's interesting this morning as we celebrate communion, I 
communion is a sign of a covenant. It's not a rainbow, though, is it? And I love that. I love seeing a rainbow, and I love remembering this is the promise that God has made. This is a covenant that God made in his grace. When you and I hold, and we're about to hold in our hands, a rainbow, a symbol of a covenant, a body broken and a cup spilled for us. It is the symbol of the covenant that God has made with his son on our behalf to be gracious to us for the rest of eternity. Can I just tell you, it's impossible. God would have to betray his own son. It's impossible for God not to be gracious to you in the coming days. And I get maybe 2020 and 2021 have confused that. Sometimes life gets really hard and painful and disrupted and we suffer. And we need to interpret carefully, what does that mean? Because it is impossible for God to not be gracious to his son. Therefore, it is impossible for God to not be gracious to you and to me. And I need to pause and be sure I'm aware of that. Before I proceed into 2022, I need to be convinced. I need to pause long enough and not just here today. I hope you pause this week. I hope you take these notes home with you. I hope you you break out a book that had a big influence in your life as it spoke of the grace of God and you convince your own soul that as you wander out into the mess of a post-pandemic world and the rain starts to fall, you you don't live in 2022 wondering, is God going to kill me? Is God going to kill everybody? Is this going to get really, really bad and the whole world's going to just become tragically under the judgment of God? Am I convinced as I do 2022 that the grace of God is on my life? That God has smelled something that's pleased him. And the whole universe of the Bible has looked forward to this day saying, Oh, we wanted to see the grace that was to be yours. In 2022, that's the grace of God on our lives. So here's how we're going to begin 2022. We're going to get the communion emblems. Hold on to them if you want to begin to get up from where you are. Go to the back where the guys have set up stations so that you can be served. Bring back the bread. Bring back the cup with you. And together, we're going to remember the covenant of God.
as though 2020 and 2021 has created the pace and then 2022 is just going to be more of that but that's a time and chance evolution thought we live under the, the supervision of a creator he created us he creates and he bestows grace upon our lives and he waited for this day to be gracious to us and he intends that to be the case so here, here's what I want you to do I want you to stare into 2022 for a second we're holding in our hands emblems that mean something they mean something because they speak of a covenant of grace upon our lives so could you look into the future and maybe let me pull you into one category what what are you afraid of in 2022? What are you worried about in this coming year? Stare at that thing for a second. I can't possibly list everybody's stories, but just, you know, I'm just aware in the last few weeks, just, you know, folks in our church that can't be here with us who have gone through a really, really hard last year. Think of Trudy Morris. I hope Trudy and Steve are watching with us today, waiting for a lung transplant. Julio and Janet, Julio has been through a lung transplant, living in Houston, Texas, and trying to get past an infection. 
Nancy Treby and Bill Treby who had a really hard road this past year. And, and, and you have something like that. You've had an existence in this past year that you're very tempted to just draw the line into the next year. What are you anticipating God will do? Pause. Pause. Do not just continue the last two years into the next year. Pause with God. Stare at him. What does he want to do in your life? What is he leaning in? What is he all in about? It could be the most unexplainable blessing that you just don't even come close to deserving, but he intends to bring it into your life. Listen, I I don't give myself high marks in the last two years. If 2022 has to be purchased by my last two years, I'm not expecting much. But what if God wants to lavish his grace upon me in the year 2022? What might I expect then? Behold, the lengths to which God would go to break into our broken world, he would become one of us, trapped in a body, a body that could bleed and feel pain and a heart that could stop beating so that he could be gracious to us for all eternity. Let's take the bread. There's no greater stain remover than what you have in your hands. There's nothing that can cleanse the human conscience the way the blood of Christ can because our conscience is wrong because like Noah, I know when I get off the ark to go do the next thing, there's something not right between me and God. There's something not right between me. That that conscious element is installed by God. Quit trying to silence it. Why don't you just let God solve it instead? He solves the issue of the conscience by the shedding of his son's blood. The aroma of that which was offered that fully satisfies God. You don't ever have to live a day in 2022 trying to figure out how to fix your relationship with God. It's already fixed. Nothing else can be done. Just live in the good of it. Live in the awareness that now there's these subsequent glories that are coming from the sacrifice of Christ that are going to show up in my life. I anticipate because this has wiped out any accusation against me between me and God. I anticipate God's goodness and grace all the days of my life in 2022. Let's drink the cup. Lord, I thank you on one hand that we are not Noah exiting into a world like the one that he experienced, but But Lord, this has been a disruptive time of our lives and we're exiting into something. In 2022, Lord, fix us this morning. Press our pause button. May we not simply believe 2022 is just another version of 2021. No, Lord, we do not live in a time plus chance existence. We live under your providence. A providence that has brought grace to our lives through the sacrifice of your son. So that in 2022, we could anticipate your goodness and your grace. So Lord, as we wander in our thoughts in the coming days into February and March, 
this summer. Lord, may your goodness and your mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Chase us down and bestow upon us the grace that you have intended for us to have. And so, Lord, we start 2022 aware of this covenant of grace all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And may God bless you guys. We miss you guys who are at home. We are praying for your recovery and for you guys to be able to be back with us soon. We love you. Have a great, great, awesome week. Happy New Year.